Welcome to Careers in Discovery, your window into the world of leaders in pharma and biotech. Brought to you by Singular Talent, making hiring better for organizations involved in drug discovery and R&D. Miri Tuna is the Chief Scientific Officer of Adaptate Biotherapeutics, a company she joined recently after a track record of success in early-stage high-growth biotechs. In this episode, you'll hear Miri's views on why good science is fundamental, how uncertainty and risk can be positive forces in your career, why learning from experience is crucial, and the importance of the team around you. I'm here today with Miri Tuna of Adaptate Therapeutics. Miri, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Miri, good to have you here. Um, this is our first video podcast interview because uh, of everything that's happening around COVID-19. So thank you for bearing with us and, uh, and being flexible. Um, but great to have you. Um, I guess to start with, Adaptate is a very new company. So it'd be great to learn a little bit more about what you're doing there and, and the work and the technology and, and all of that. Sure. Um, yes, yeah, so Adaptate Biotherapeutics is a company that started at the end of last year. So the company was established in October 2019, and we've been fully operational since the beginning of this year, really. Um, it's a company that spun out of um, a, another company called Gamma Delta Therapeutics. So um, mm-hmm. this is um, a, a company that's been around uh, for a, a three or so years working on um, gamma delta T cells as therapeutic um, cell therapy um, concepts. Um, And what we do at Adaptate is actually um, using the same, um, broadly the same concepts, but doing all of that using antibody therapeutics. So Um, we have discovered a a range of very interesting antibodies that can modulate targets on gamma-delta T cells. Mm -hmm. And uh, the company is now set up to to take these antibodies to to the clinic practically. Um, We we are funded by the same investors as gamma-delta therapeutics. So Mm -hmm. we have funding from um, Abingworth, a a London-based VC firm, and also Takeda Pharmaceutical Company. Um, so it, it's a very, very exciting time. And, you know, we, we are a small team, but very motivated and, and very um, excited to take these new concepts forward. Absolutely. And, and T-cells typically are associated with cancer. Is that where you're focusing or is it a broader? Primarily. So initially, our main focus is exactly in, uh, in oncology. So we, we are... Um, all the first programs that we are developing are in oncology, but that's mm-hmm. not to say that we can't utilize these, um, you know, a newly, I guess, um, rediscovered, let's say, a subset of T cells in, in other therapeutic areas as well. Yeah, interesting. And I've taken this from looking at the website, so so I apologize if I get any of this uh, wrong, but the T-cell therapies that have been traditionally developed have been allergenic, so it's so been taken out of the body, modified and reintroduced. But the what you're doing is producing antibodies that affect the T-cells when they're in situ in the body is that correct absolutely so the idea the idea with our modulating antibodies is that we will um um, basically target the t-cells in situ and the gamma delta t-cells in situ and modulate their activity um and thus um basically produce the the desired immunological effects in terms of um tackling tumors Um, Hmm. 
I guess one other thing with um, with gamma, gamma delta T cells are quite uh, unique in many ways, um, different to the more traditional alpha beta T cells. Um, and, you know, T cell therapy with those is also actually quite different to your traditional um, adoptive cell therapy. But obviously, that's not the focus of what we do in Adaptate. We, we are purely uh, focused on antibodies. Yeah, I see. And so what do you see then as the advantages of, of taking this approach through the antibodies rather than, than maybe what they're doing at Gamma Delta Therapeutics? Um, they're both equally valuable approaches. I guess it's it's about alternatives. And with antibodies, mm. as you know, um, antibodies are very well validated therapeutic modality, and um, you know, v- very um, clear path in terms of regulatory um, sure, yeah, uh, approvals. But also, I guess it's it's this idea that you you can have a universal off the shelf therapeutic that can be given, you know, um, intravenously to any patient. Uh, that is deemed suitable. So that's, you know, that's kind of the, the well-validated path, as it were, mm. with antibodies. Um, it, it's very, very, very attractive. Yeah, I see. So it gives you a, sort of a broader range of treatment options, potentially. Yeah. Um, and as you say, the company started at the end of last year, so it's, it's early days, um, and you've joined as, as Chief Scientific Officer. Um, tell us a bit about, I guess, your first few months and uh, your role there and what you're focused on and what that CSO position really looks like at Adaptate. Sure. Um, yes, it's it's a great time to join such a, um, a dynamic startup as, as the chief science officer. Um, basically, we are quite a small team, um, a, a very focused R&D team, and, and we are performing um, most of the key R&D activities in-house and mm-hmm. very um, heavily, obviously, relying on outsourcing as well to, to progress our molecules towards the clinic. My role um, is, is really defining that scientific strategy, making sure the R&D team is, is uh, planning and executing on, on all the work that is required to have a very um, you know, efficient progression of the antibodies into into um, into the preclinical development and forward. Um, I, I think from from the point of view of other, I guess, other aspects of the role, it, it's quite interesting because um, we are also engaging with key opinion leaders and mm. scientific advisors in the field. We are um, really defining a very broad strategy in terms of how to best utilize this new new concept really because modulating the gamma delta t cells with antibodies is a, a pretty newly newly um, established concept and you know we have um, a very interesting antibodies that we are very excited about yeah i see so you get to you get to sort of direct the research in this area where some of the questions are unanswered and, and unexplored, which is which is great it's, um, it's scientifically a, a very good place to be because it's an exciting biology and and uh, very very much a um, unexplored area but mm. that is a challenge and a motivation in itself yeah of course um so I, i'm very interested in exploring your journey to this point and uh you know how the things that you've done along the way and and we'll talk a bit about that um we always like to go right back to the very beginning mm-hmm. um so for you miri why why a career in science and why drug discovery particularly where did that i guess spark come from originally 
Yeah, that's um, yeah, it's a it's a very good question. Um, so I, I studied. Um, so, so I come from um, a kind of quite a mixed, diverse background, but. Um, I did my undergraduate degree in, in Turkey and I studied biology. And then straight after I finished that, I came to the UK mm. um, to do a post to, to do postgraduate studies. I, I think I was, you know, really lucky and, and kind of, um, I'd like to say I chose well as well, but I went to Sussex University and I, I had a really inspirational PhD supervisor, actually. Um, I was working in a, in a kind of protein, uh, protein lab. It was all very much a basic science and, um, uh, really, really kind of cool research that we were doing. Mm. And that was very um, inspiring to to kind of see how we could actually make the link between basic research and basic science, which doesn't look very, um, you know, it looks quite removed from, you know, a potential therapeutic drug, but actually um, understanding proteins, how you could basically apply that in a, in a, in a industry setting was where I first got my first, I guess, um, idea of how you could do that during my PhD and um, and my supervisor um, Deck Wilson he was actually very much involved in this application of basic research um, from the earlier on uh, early days onwards and mm. um, and that really clarified it for me pretty quickly I knew that straight after my PhD I will go directly into a company setting and we'll try right. to um, kind of um, Take, take, my, take, take the ideas of basic research and concepts of how you could basically be applying that more directly and more efficiently into something that would be therapeutically relevant. And, and I then um, actually started working at a company in Cambridge called Gamantis, which was uh, one of um, Sir Greg Winter's companies in, in antibody um, engineering and antibody drug development. Mm. And that was really a, a great place to learn, actually. So um, in Demantis, we were working with single domain antibodies and um, we worked across different therapeutic areas, but it was a platform company. And, and we just really, uh, for somebody who was straight out of a PhD, it was an, a, an excellent kind of learning, learning ground and, and gaining all these like really um, good experiences of how to, um, how to run a company that is, you know, doing research, but also, um, I guess um, aiming to develop therapeutic um, drugs, and also um, just in general, um, going from just you know knowing about proteins to saying, okay, well now I'm moving into antibody engineering mm. and real drug development, and then from there onwards is being um, I guess it's been a, a continuous learning journey. The Mantis got acquired by GSK. I stuck around there for a little bit, kind of saw what how the big pharma scene is, is evolving and how things work there. And then um, for the last, just before moving to Adaptate, I've been in a company called F-Star Biotechnology, also in Cambridge, mm -hmm. and uh, this time actually developing antibody therapeutics in oncology primarily, but uh, using bispecific antibodies rather than mon monospecific monoclonal traditional yes. antibodies. And um, so I, I've, I was there for, for 11 years, quite a long time, but again, it was where um, I guess I moved from being a scientist to being a research manager and, um, you know, um, having an, moved on to the executive team and, and actually really elevated in terms of um, the scope and um, 
the amount of what I do, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And then moving to Adaptate was just a, a great natural step, yeah. next natural step uh, as the chief scientific officer. Makes sense. Uh, and I'm really interested to explore some of those transitions because I think, you know, it must have been very different going from Demantis to being part of GSK and then F-Star will have changed a lot over the time that you were there as, as your role did as well. Yeah. Um, I guess going back to that point around during your PhD, you, you were working with people who were thinking about that application of the science and, and how, it, how it translated to drug discovery. And I think Sussex have had a long tradition of, of doing that, right? Um, if there are people maybe who are sat doing their PhDs now or, or doing postdocs and, and don't have that exposure and are thinking about a career in industry, are there a couple of things that you would say are really important to bear in mind about the differences between applying that research and then the early research that you do academically? Mm-hmm. They, they are quite different, but also really similar. Effectively, to run a good drug development program or to run good research, you just need to do excellent science. So the basic underlying mm. principle is the same. Um, however, you, you know, there are different kind of pressures and, and different kind of expectations in the two different settings. And I would say that I think nowadays, compared to when I was doing my PhD, which is quite a while back now, um, the the applicability of your research is much more emphasized and much more, I guess, valued these days. Um, This is my impression. So I think anyone doing a PhD these days is somewhat directed also through the funding bodies to to a a research that is medically relevant, you know, that addresses a a certain need. Um, So I think that's kind of evolved in a good direction. But what I would say is that, you know, if people don't have that, um, if they don't happen to have this kind of oversight into where their research might be um, relevant, I think there is um, a lot of um, organizations and a lot of, I guess, funding bodies that um, have focus in in their research direction. And, you know, you could kind of follow these, um, you know, their publications, their kind of... um, research direction and you would know where you know where the there is an importance placed in terms of um research that is funded in academic environment but also Mm. very directly would uh, readily be transferred into um you know the um by in in the pharmaceutical uh, setting for example a, a great example of that is not very topical today um because of other issues but you know um research into neurodegeneration oncology was like the big the big investment area for the last 20 years and we've seen like a a huge um change and advancement in treatment options for people with cancer Mm -hmm. um and neurodegenerative disease alzheimer and stuff to do with, with aging has been quite unproductive despite you know certain um investment but that's not to say that investment and research should not be still funded in fact more so because we just need those breakthroughs and they really come through uh, what people do in in academic research we in we in industry are just you know maybe more efficient faster applying certain practically developing certain concepts but basic research into the very basics of, of where mechanisms of disease are, you know, understood better is super important. And I think mm. that's where still, if you're doing a PhD today, you could, you could be doing that and very easily then 
if you wanted to move to a, to an industry setting and and have a very good start yeah so the 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 application and the investment case comes from that initial breakthrough right that initial yeah. that good science that, that absolutely yeah makes sense that, that's what i i i think and believe yeah mm-hmm. no totally i understand um and then, so, so tell us about those steps into industry. So you joined Demantis, um, and uh, tell us a bit about that experience coming out of Sussex into that. And then I suppose going up to then the company being bought by GSK, and, and that must be a very, very different, um, a very different environment given the scale of the organization yeah. and all of that. Um, I mean, this was obviously quite some few years back now, but um, coming straight off a PhD and, and joining, when I joined Demantis, it was also a very small company. Um, I, I joined as an entry-level scientist, but it was a, a really great environment, obviously. Uh, Greg Winter's involvement, um, having really, really high-caliber scientists in, 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 in the same environment, having this very kind of... I guess, dynamic Cambridge environment where it, it mm. was all about being very um, productive, you know, being very efficient, kind of progressing this new platform. Everyone was really motivated and really, um, I think it, we worked as a, as a great team. It was a very small team um, to, to kind of develop the platform as it were. And then, the company was growing as through the years, but when we obviously got taken over by GSK, that's um, a very different, um, it's a very different situation. And um, I personally found it um, at at the point of my career, that was probably um, not the best place for me to be. So Mm -hmm. I actually was um, in GSK for just over a year. And then I quickly realized that I would, Personally, I prefer to be in smaller biotech environments. Yeah, this, this was actually the driver for me to to move on to FSA, which at the time again was a twenty-person company with a new platform and kind of all the unknowns. But for me, that was <laughs> um, better suited to to how I operate, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I think just to go back, I think the, all of these parts, all of these different, I guess, parts of how we progressed concepts and, and novel ideas to, to the clinic are all very much part of a big chain and all these components are, are really required, including a dynamic, uh, agile biotech. Then when it comes to developing um, drugs in, in further on into the development process, we need uh, big companies, you know, mm-hmm. well structured, very um, kind of efficient in the more regulatory part of the process. We need that. And it's a combination of all these different things. And obviously, all the way in the beginning, we have the academic research. So yeah, it's a continuum in, in many ways. But um, yeah, I think it's also very personal about how people um, prefer to be in a, in a bigger company more structured or in a slightly more kind of agile environment where things are a bit more uncertain but people find may find that more motivating and I'm kind of the latter I guess. A hundred percent and that that kind of um, prefaces my next question because you're absolutely right I think different people thrive in different environments and and some people are very well suited for big pharma companies and some people prefer the 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 sort of agility and uh, unknowns of a small organization um, for you, wh- why those small biotech companies? What is it that, that makes them right for you and, and that you love about being part of a small organization like that? Um, 
Yeah, I think it's the challenge and having a great team to to really, I guess, it, it it's always a challenge for a small team, uh, uh, you know, a biotech with, you know, private funding, this constant need to, to have, um, you know, secure funding, but also having really, um, I guess, um, specific tasks that we have to deliver on, having a bit of an unknown science, the excitement of that. I think all of these things are very much, um, for me personally, what I thrive on. And then combined with a great team that actually can deliver on these kind of questions and issues and, 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 you know, deliver, I guess, on the, on the promise, mm-hmm. what I find really quite motivating. And this is why I think I prefer and, and actually um, thrive in environments where there is this dynamism and this kind of almost, it, it's, it's a little bit uncertain, but that's okay because I mm. think if you're doing your, if you have the right team and if you're doing all the right experiments and if you're progressing with the right strategy, um, science is science. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but in the end of the day, you've just done all the right things and you know, it, it, it's either going to be a great therapeutic or sometimes as most of the times it, it doesn't, but that's part of our life. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and I think people develop a, a sort of tolerance for risk as well, don't they? And, and an understanding that yes, okay, it's a risk, but we're doing the right things. And if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world, but you know, it can be quite difficult to, I suppose, conceptually understand that when you've not been through that process before. Yeah. And I think um, going back to, I guess, my personal experience, going through that, going, going through that process in a positive way makes you more confident in taking mm. the next risk. You know, Domantis was a great story. It was a great experience. And then for me, that's always associated with positive things. So then for me, it wasn't actually a big of a, like, I wasn't worried about saying, well, I'll just, you know, leave and go to another startup and then another startup because so far my experiences have been positive, which is, is very, you know, um, I guess good, but that, that doesn't mean it happens to everyone in this way. And I think people then react in a different way, but in the end of the day, it's also very much internal to you. You can have a, a failure and still like it and 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 i guess if you had a successful story then you like it even more so it's yeah <laughs> true yeah. um and then so f star biotechnology is a company that you know many people in industry would have heard of they'll be aware at least of the name even if they're not sort of familiar with the detail but i'm interested in your journey through that business because i suppose you left gsk as as a principal scientist is that yeah correct? so you will have been leading projects and making scientific decisions and things like that but then over that 11 years with F-Star, A, the company would have grown quite a lot, but also you you left there as senior vice president and moving into a CSO role. So I guess very different in terms of what your day-to-day looked like. But tell us a bit about that that period and um, I guess the key things that happened and all of that. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, F-Star, F-Star has been a company that... W- operated uh, I guess since early 2007 and mm. I joined in 2008 um, and yes I think it was a very exciting technology and and very exciting platform which you know we developed over time we really took our time to choose the right concepts to develop in terms of the clinical products it, it was um a great a growing journey for me personally um, as you mentioned I started with a, a team of about four people 
four or five people. And then, uh, you know, the team grew, my team grew, my role grew, the company grew. And, you know, it, it's been, I feel, I feel very happy. And I guess, um, I feel happy in the sense that we now have two bispecific, um, very interesting bispecific uh, compounds in the clinic that um, the, the company has delivered. And, um, you know, FSTAR has been backed by a, a really good set of investors. They supported us through this journey. We we kind of, you know, had our ups and downs, but in the end of the day, it's all about persevering and, mm. and kind of believing in what you do and, and then trying to develop uh, develop the therapeutic um, you know modalities and or molecules that you think will make a, a difference to patients and I think as long as you do that I people support everything and your growth and you know as, as a company but also as a person and I've been very lucky in FSTAR with regards to having very good role models in the senior mm. management team to learn from um, over the years. Um, also, you know, from the investors um, and, and just generally it's been um, a very supportive environment. I think not just for me, but also for the other people that joined at the same time as me um, people from my team that have been there also in this journey. We, we really felt that um, we were part of a, of a really great um, I guess development in terms of we are developing these novel bispecifics in immuno oncology, and um, you know it was a learning on the job for me personally. Mm-hmm. So as my role my role was growing, I was um, expanding in in kind of the scope of what I did, but also how I was developing certain skill sets. I felt quite you know very well supported in terms of training and. Um, opportunities that I had to to develop myself um I think I I really can't say anything um anything but positive things because it's been over 11 years as you said it's been a a really um fruitful and and satisfying uh, career progression for me personally Mm. um in the sense of not just in the sense of title, but in the sense of how I feel I have grown as, as a, as a leader. Yeah. And I think that, that, that's probably the biggest gain because wherever you are, no matter what your titles are, if you're growing in the capabilities and kind of internalizing all the things you're learning, then it's bound to help you in your next role. Absolutely. Um, and if we can dive into that, that growth and development a little bit. Um, so we, we talked uh, about, I guess, the things that you learn about um, developing drugs and moving from academia to industry. And, and I guess the next bit I'm interested in is that, that transition from um, being a scientist to then sitting on the board of a company you've touched on it there. There will have been a number of things that you had to learn and you had to develop about your skill sets and your mindset and things like that. So I'm sure there's a lot, but what were some of the key things do you think that you've learned over the years that have helped you to do that? Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. There's so many things. But <laughs> I think um, from, from the point of view of how, I guess, you get exposed to certain things in, in a role. Um, a lot of different components come together to actually enrich your experience, but also enrich your learning. So for me personally, in FSTAR, let's say we had a lot of collaboration with um, different pharma. I had this, you know, interactions with the, with the senior management team right, right from the start. 
And then I was in the executive team learning from, as I said, like learning, observing uh, really great people running the company. At the same time, these interactions with the collaborators that we had, ESTA is quite notorious for having quite a lot of creative, creative business development deals. Mm. And, and, you know, every time you, you have a new interaction and a new exposure, I think you really do have an opportunity to learn and internalize uh, from your experiences. Um, and I, I think from, from my point of view, personally, these experiences are what has given me um, the greatest learning and mm. the greatest gain. Um, and then, you know, you, you do a lot of other things. Uh, you follow the literature, you follow, you know, what everyone else is doing. You can go on a leadership course, you can go on a management course, but really um, kind of experiencing doing and internalizing it as this is happening is probably for me has been the, the greatest um, positive coming out of how I felt myself growing in my role um, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, and, and then the experiences then give you insights to say, okay, next time I have to run a really big team or I have to run a really big project, then I would do it like this because you know what has worked in the past or you know where people maybe have kind of um, tripped up. And I think all of these experiences in, in I find that there isn't really a recipe, but actually... Mm have the opportunity to learn and internalize in different environments and it's kind of what you do with it that makes you then be able to make the jump to the next level um and 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 some people are you know much better at i guess um focusing more on the science and focusing more on, on being an excellent scientist and executing an excellent scientific strategy. And some people then can move on to this more um, managerial track and, mm. and be able to thrive in different ways, which makes them a good people manager or makes them a good project manager. Yeah. It, it, again, I think people find it. Um, I've seen this, you know, not just, based on you know obviously myself but i've seen this in people in my team where when people find their niche and when people find their strength area of strength they really thrive and they mm. kind of, um, become very very efficient and and that's good to see um and you can always support this with training and other uh, you know other things but i guess because of the subject of our podcast i think this idea that you you gain yourself different experiences through your career choices is, is very, very important because they are the, they are the experiences that enrich you and then make you realize what you're good at. I think. Yeah. And I think that's an important point is that um, you've got to try things to find the things that you're yeah. good at. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then finding the things that you're good at is when you can really accelerate and, and grow. And, and I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose there's a few things you've talked about there and I guess, obviously there's things you can read and there are courses you can go on and stuff like that. So there's that almost sort of um, uh, academic reading part of developing skills. There's the role modeling bit. So finding people that you can observe or, or that can mentor you or that, you know, you can work with that you can learn from. But then I guess those two final parts, you have to go and try things and you have to go and experience things to learn the lessons and you have to find the things that you're good at. Yeah, I, yeah. I think so. It, it all happens by just doing it. Mm -hmm. um yeah and it, it's 
yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, and then I suppose looking at um, what's happening now. So, so we've talked a little bit about Adapte and um, we've talked about the company forming and all this kind of thing. Um, I guess two questions that, that are kind of related is um, what's next for Adapte? Where, where are you heading with the organization? And then it'd be really interesting to understand your view as someone who has been in biotech in the UK for, for a while now, where the, your view on where the industry is at, what the sector looks like the things that you're excited about out there all of that mm -hmm. sure um i think big picture it all really comes down to all of us in biotech and this kind of you know um vc funded research into um you know drug development we are all really about um discovering something making something that will make a difference to a patient you know mm. that we will be able to help somebody at some point um i i think this is this is really the big driver and and in ultimately it's it's such a i guess um needed way of of operating and delivering that um I, i'm not you know i i feel that if you have a good idea if you have a good strategy of how to test your scientific hypothesis and your idea in terms of whether this could be a viable drug concept or not then you will always get funded and you will always get supported. I think this is fundamentally such an important part of what we do that if, if you have a proposition that means that, you know, you can help patients, um, I, I'm a believer that, you know, this will be supported. You just have to have a good strategy. You have to have a good scientific understanding, a reason, and then a, a good strategy of how to basically show whether or not uh, your idea is um, going to be relevant in, in any therapeutic context. Um, and in that respect, Adaptate is in, in the beginning of that journey. We have this kind of um, really novel way of thinking how we could, uh, you know, uh, have a, a treatment option in, in, in oncology, which is really about um, modulating this kind of less well understood subset of T cells, nonetheless. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a subset that offer a, a great potential. And it, it is, you know, it's not without its risks. You know, we can't be fooling ourselves. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a novel territory and we may, um, you know, we, we may end up in, in whatever outcome, but it's, it's such an exciting journey and such an exciting prospect to think that, okay, we, we just have to find the right way to show whether modulating the set, the, the, these, subset of t-cells in the way we do is going to be relevant in a therapeutic setting in the clinic or not and if you do that right if you do that in the best you know um way possible then you've done your job right and then you've done you've done a good um you know a, a good biotech story in my mm -hmm. opinion. um so it, I, I think Adaptate is in a great position because we are in the beginning of a very, you know, um, exciting um, times where we will be following this biology, we will be following this kind of interesting, um, I, I guess, way of, of approaching a therapeutic problem. And I, I, I think in terms of more um, generically speaking in different biotechs, um, there's so many unanswered medical questions and there's so many, you know, unmet medical need situations. There's always some, something that you can do 
if you have the basic fundamental understanding of you know a pathway or how you think that would be relevant so i i am a scientist but also i am i guess i i am uh, very excited about the prospects of saying that you know this kind of drug development original ideas i would like to believe that they will always be funded but then mm -hmm. as of today speaking <laughs> about you know economy crashing a big recession yeah. you just never know but at the same time um we, we all have to do our bit and then you know as long as you you do it um in the best way you think you you can do it then i think that's worth pursuing yeah we'll just have to see but um it's it's very i guess right now because we are right in the middle of it it's really difficult to be confident about any outcomes um yeah but uh yeah we'll just have to see it's interesting. We used to frame that question in the, the sort of context of Brexit. That seems a little <laughs> bit irrelevant now. <laughs> and of course, you know, there's ups and downs in any market and things like that. But I suppose yeah. what you're saying is that get the yeah. science right first. And then if you've got good science, you should be able to make a case then to get it funded, to, to take it forward and to, to build something uh, out of it. Yeah. Yeah. fundamentally i think that's that's really what it's all about and you know you, you just form form the, the best team you can form you basically um just execute your strategy and you follow the science and you follow the results and then that takes you where it takes you and sometimes it's a blockbuster drug and sometimes it's not mm -hmm. and it's it's the way the, the way of how things work out in our industry, but it's it's only by trying that you get to the great drugs. So, yeah, and you've mentioned a couple of times the importance of the team, um, and yeah. that's something I'd just like to pick up on a little bit. So, you know, there may be people listening to this who aren't in leadership positions but would like to be one day, and um, I think it's something that comes across in many of the interviews that we do, but. As someone who has run teams and built teams and, and done that, can you, can you just give us a bit, couple of insights into the importance of the team and surrounding yourself with good people and, and you know, how people should think about that? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, having a great team and having a great culture and a great, I guess, um, operating uh, ethos within your team, it, it makes such a huge difference in my experience. Um, I, I've, I've got to say that I've been very um, fortunate in, in the sense that in the teams that are formed primarily during my time in FSTAR, I have experienced such amazing scientists and really, really great um, outcomes from having a, a really, really a good team. So I, I can only say that I'm a very big believer in people and teams in terms of, you know, how you can deliver things and how, um, what the different levels of delivery can be, because you can mm. have a, a good team and do a good job. Um, you can have an amazing team and they, they will do everything um, above and beyond. And that's kind of a, a very different situation to be in. Um, I would say that, you know, hiring in that respect is, is super critical. Mm. you're hiring people and and this would be i guess my my learning from the last let's say 15 years or so where i've, I've been in these industries that you know hiring the right people it's a cliche and everyone says it but hiring the right people is is kind of the best thing you can do 
um, to set yourself up for success. And, and then after that, I think nurturing those people and nurturing the, the, the good feeling of the team is kind of very important as well, because as companies grow and teams grow, a lot of different dynamics start appearing. So keeping, uh, um, keeping the, the culture and keeping the, I guess, a vision uh, as, as similar as possible within the team becomes harder and trickier as the team grows, but it's definitely something worth investing in, I would say. Mm. Um, because I think you can experience a group of uh, technically very competent people that are not um, either not um, driven by the same thing or, or working towards the same goal because you failed to have that in, you know, that particular feeling in your team and they will be okay. I'm not saying that they will fail. They will probably be okay, but then it's a totally different feeling when you're in a team of, um, all, all, you know, the right people again, but with a, a same vision and with the same idea of what it means to, um, how to basically work together and how to deliver together, which then it's a totally different feeling and it's much, much, you know, better. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, getting that is, um, it doesn't come for free. I think you have to also work hard at it. You have to, um, it's it's about having the right people, but also doing the right things. And I don't know if I know all what the right things are to do in every right. circumstance <laughs> at this point in time. I think that's certainly a very um, ongoing learning experience for any leader, I would say. Mm-hmm. Situations change in the way you have to behave and act and lead also change as we are seeing today. I mean, who would have thought that the world would stop because of a virus? <laughs> and you know, you just have to adapt of how you operate, lead, do stuff. It's just um, quite quite a learning lesson what we're living right now. Yes. Yeah. And I think what's been interesting over the last couple of weeks is that nobody knows the answer. So everybody is just working through this in the best way that they can. And, yeah. you know, what I have seen is a lot of people are sharing ideas more openly, uh, kind of more open to interaction and more open to just collaborating and things like that, which I think that's a positive thing, um, particularly yeah. for when we come out of the other side. And if we can keep that um, that ethos and that, that approach, yeah. then, you know, it, as you say, if you can get everyone pulling in the same direction, you can you can achieve amazing things, I think. Um so it might be difficult to narrow this down to just one thing and, and it might be something we've already talked about and that's fine if it is, but if there was one piece of advice, Mary, from a career point of view that you you could give to people out there who are starting out or maybe that, that you wish you'd known as you were taking those first steps into the Mantis maybe, um, what what would that be? What would be the thing that you think people should be thinking about and be aware of in their career? Oh, um, <laughs> it's a big question. I appreciate it. It's a very big question. I, I think um, I think to choose something that you're passionate about, whatever you're doing, that you really um, are very passionate about it, and that you then are not scared to to put whatever, however much effort or work is required, and that you you're actually not scared to take risks. Actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think all of these things come um, when, you know, ca- career progression and big changes, I think, come when you, um, you are prepared to do um, what it takes. 
Mm. And I think for you to be able to do that, you just need to be very passionate about what you do, what you've chosen to do, um, and not be prepared to, um, you know, put a lot of work in, take risks, fall down if you have to, but be able to get back up again and, and do all of these things. And I think that's, that's really not just career. Yeah, it's, it's kind of how it all works out because you, you do fall as well. So we can't just say it's all very rosy. This, this ability to, to get back up from, from a you know, setback is also very important. And it, it's all about how motivated you are about what you do in the end of the day. So I would say about this, I guess, passion for what you do and, 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 and then be prepared to put whatever it takes to do it. Yeah. And this point about taking risks, you've touched on that a couple of times. So do you, do you feel that that passion is the thing that makes it easier to take those risks? Oh, yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, maybe, yeah, I don't know. And I mean, I, you know, they always say people, there is inherently uh, people who are much happier with taking risk and yeah. people who are not. But, um, or like more people, some people find taking risk more stressful and some people not so much. So I, I don't know. But um, I guess having a, an internal belief or internal passion about something maybe helps you be more um, risk friendly, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Mary, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on Careers in Discovery. And don't forget to subscribe for more insight into the world of drug discovery and R&D. Do take a look at our sponsors, Singular Talent, and their mission to make hiring better for companies and individuals in drug discovery and R&D. You can find them at www.singulartalent.io. See you next time.